Hello, and welcome to I Love You, But I Hate Your Politics. I'm Dr. Jeannie Safer. So far on this show, we've talked mainly about arguments that have long since passed. The couples fought, worked through it, and came out okay on the other side. I love those stories. But as we were releasing these episodes, a new, fresh political argument took hold of the country in a way I have rarely experienced before. I'm talking, of course, about the Kavanaugh confirmation hearings. If you somehow manage to steer clear of that news cycle, you're welcome to hit pause here and go catch up. I'm not going to recap everything that happened in the hearings, the reactions, the coverage, and the aftermath. And I'm certainly not going to re-litigate any of that. What was fascinating and distressing to me was the sheer volume and the bitter intensity of the conflict. I've been around long enough to see my fair share of political issues sweep the country, but this one really created profound division between just about everyone. I knew that couples would be caught up in this. So on last week's episode, I asked you all, the listeners, to tell me what you've been experiencing. Today's episode focuses on one of the responses we got. Hello. That's Emily. She wrote us an email last week that I thought was exceptionally honest and powerful. So we asked her to call us up. It's been good. I've been uh, watching my cousin's baby. <laughs> He's looking at me. <laughs> Once she was free. Hold on. Can I, uh, just one second, I need to pass this baby off to my cousin real quick. <laughs> Hey, I'm like in the middle of a call for a podcast. I don't know. As the Kavanaugh hearings gripped the country, Emily found that she was fighting two battles. One with the people that surrounded her in her everyday life. And another with the love of her life, her husband Joe. Here's what she told us. When we first met, we were both like, not apolitical, but like very small government, keep the government out of our life kind of people. And since then, I mean, he's just become more of a traditional Republican and I've pretty much become a New York City liberal. Although, I mean, I guess I, I'm really not a New York City liberal because I'm, I'm still pro-life. I'm in theater. Um, I'm a playwright, actually. And most of my colleagues are like democratic socialists. So, I mean, there are just certain viewpoints and values that I hold pretty seriously that I just can't talk about. For me, being pro-life was really about supporting the dignity of people who have no voice, which to me is extremely feminist. But when I moved to New York, many of my colleagues basically were like, no, like if you're feminist, like feminists have to be pro-choice. Like that's a non-negotiable. I don't know. I, I feel like there's a litmus test and I don't pass it. Tonight, it is my honor and privilege to announce that I will nominate Judge Brett Kavanaugh to the United States Supreme Court. The Kavanaugh situation was hard for me because I just didn't really know what to think. And everyone around me on social media was just so certain. Well, as a general proposition, I understand the importance of the precedent set forth in Roe v. Wade. So Roe v. Wade held 
of course, and it's reaffirmed in Planned Parenthood versus Casey. And, you know, saying things like, you know, anyone who thinks this man should be nominated hates women and he's going to overturn Roe v. Wade and anyone who wants that to happen is obviously hates women and is a terrible person. My name is Christine Blasey Ford. I am here today not because I want to be. I am terrified. I am here because I believe it is my civic duty to tell you what happened to me while Brett Kavanaugh and I were in high school. During my time at the school, girls at Holton Arms frequently met and became friendly with boys from all boys schools in the area, including the Landon School, Georgetown Prep, Gonzaga High School. This is how I met Brett Kavanaugh, the boy who sexually assaulted me. There was a weird strain for me of like, Kavanaugh must have done it because he's a pro-life man and pro-life men hate women and therefore are more likely to be violent towards them, which felt, which like that was a line of thinking that just like gave me so much anxiety. I just, I felt like my family was under attack. Like I felt like I, like my husband was being indicted and I, and I also felt like by being pro-life myself that I was somehow complicit. It's very hard to describe other than like I, I felt ashamed of the way I thought in so many people's minds the way I thought was tied up with something I really didn't believe and trying to def like trying to articulate that those things were not the same was just really challenging for me especially because I was embarrassed I am still kind of embarrassed to say what I actually think in the first place yeah and then, and then I just kind of like took a lot of it out on my husband I don't have all the answers and I don't remember as much as I would like to. But the details that about that night that bring me here today are the ones I will never forget. They have been seared into my memory and have haunted me episodically as an adult. I came home from like a rehearsal, like a theater rehearsal, and everyone was talking about it and I came home like really stressed out and like went straight for the wine and um started drinking and instantly just like laid into him and was like, well, what do you think about Kavanaugh? Like, do you believe her? You know, and he started talking about like evidence and rules of law and it's not a matter of belief, it's a matter of facts. And, and I just got so mad. I'm not questioning that Dr. Ford may have been sexually assaulted by some person in some place at some time, but I have never done this to her or to anyone. Um, and I was just like, well, how could you, you know, if you believe he could have, if you believe he did this, then you have, you can't win on the Supreme Court. And he was, you know, making these very intellectual arguments about like, it's not about what I believe, it's about what I can prove. And it's about, you know, he was making really good rational points. And then I would get online and a friend of mine would post something like, you know, this man is clearly lying. And, you know, look at how he's contradicted himself in his testimony. And like, if you don't, think this, you know, you're a bad person. And then I would come back to him. With what degree of certainty do you believe Brett Kavanaugh assaulted you? 100%. None of these allegations are true? Correct. No doubt in your mind? Zero. I'm 100% certain. Not even a scintilla? Not a scintilla. 100% certain, Senator. You swear to God? I swear to God. So I have judged. Judge Kavanaugh, thank you very much. Hearing adjourned. Mm -hmm.
all I wanted for him to say was like, I believe her and I don't want Kavanaugh on the Supreme Court. And I wouldn't really accept any other answer. So basically he told me he wouldn't talk to me about it anymore. 36 years ago, this happened. I had one beer, right? I had one beer. Well, do you think it was, nope, it was one beer. Oh, good. How did you get home? I don't remember. How'd you get there? I don't remember. Where is the place? I don't remember. How many years ago was it? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. What neighborhood was it in? I don't know. Where's the house? I don't know. Upstairs, downstairs, where was it? I don't know. But I had one beer. That's the only thing I remember. I've experienced sexual assault, not, a, not an attempted rape, but when that happened to me, someone didn't believe me, and that was more traumatic than the actual event. I was just so angry that he was supportive of him, and I was also so embarrassed because I didn't want to tell any of my friends that my husband was supportive of him because that would reflect poorly on me and then like how awful to be ashamed of my husband. I just got really depressed. I got really depressed and really anxious and like just turned inward and it wasn't really even about Kavanaugh anymore. There was a lot of what are people going to think. As a playwright, I'm constantly, you know, we talk about these things a lot. People aren't private about their politics or their relationships in the arts. And people draw red lines. And it's, I felt like my career could suffer. And I felt like he didn't care that my career could suffer and that he didn't understand that. And I also just like, I also just like, I felt like he wasn't listening to me. We'll be back after this. When I learned that Emily and Joe both live in New York, I knew I had to invite them over to my office to record this episode of the podcast. They were initially a little reluctant to come, and it's understandable. Calling into a podcast about a political fight with your husband is one thing. Reliving that fight in front of a microphone with your husband and a stranger present is quite another. But once they arrived, I was struck by how easily and clearly they expressed the way the Brett Kavanaugh news made them feel and how it affected their relationship. How about you, Joe, when you saw how upset Emily was? I think one of the things that made this worse than, you know, other disagreements we've had is that I didn't really quite realize just how deeply mm. it was affecting her. Did she didn't tell you or did she tell you ultimately? She told me in the end. Um, and, oh, well, you know, that's a big thing. Yeah, and that, that helped us work out a way to, you know... Okay, important mm-hmm. principle, right? Yes. If you really tell the other person what you're feeling and why... Mm-hmm. Empathy becomes more possible. Absolutely. For Joe, listening and considering arguments from the other side is nothing new. I think most people connect on, and one of the things that I usually try to do is find common ground with, you know, people I don't agree with 
you know, ideologically or politically. So, you know, we kind of just would comment on the circus of it all or, you know, how awful it's not a bad the way to process do it, honestly. was. But it's interesting that you say that you try to find common ground mm-hmm. because that is not a typical position of people either on the right or on the left. And I'm curious, why is that important to you? And What in your own history, what in your own family, mixed <laughs> common ground... You're both smiling. Okay. Must be something, right? I come from a family that's very right-leaning. They um, make Joe look like super left. Yeah, they they make me look pretty liberal. Um, <laughs> they really do. You see, it's all relative. <laughs> it really is. And I think the other thing is, I did a lot of debate in high school, so you know. That's really. That's it, a really. It was kind of training, but it's yeah, also school a, of hard knocks. Yeah, it's a good way to approach the world, I think, in well, general. You also learn that people who disagree with you can have compelling arguments from their side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But while Joe was able to find ways around talking about the news directly, Emily went a different and much more difficult route. She kept her beliefs and Joe's beliefs a secret. Are your friends primarily leftish? Or? My friends are pretty far left. I'm, I'm in the arts, so... Okay. <laughs> so did they react... To Joe's position, did, did they ask you about it? Did they interrogate you about it? I was it? too afraid to tell them, and I still have not told them. Wow, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, but isn't that isn't that something? I mean, that the only you must assume that they would be horrified. Like, yeah. leave them immediately, mm-hmm. right? That's the only thing to do. I don't want my friends to tell me I should get a divorce, so I didn't tell them. Well, yeah. you know what? My feeling is that sometimes it's important to say. You weren't there. You don't know my relationship. How can you talk about that? I think there's a certain freedom to be able to stand up and say, I love this person, and how they stand on a particular thing, even something that's important to me, isn't the be-all and end-all. And I think that it's not really about politics. It's about people's values. So what they're really asking is, like, how could you be with someone who has different values than you? But the truth is, Joe and I don't have different values. But that's... Say that three times louder, because <laughs> that is actually, I have, I have a chapter in my book called What is a Core Value? Mm-hmm. And a bunch of people who are in mixed relationships say, we have the same core values even though he feels like this and I feel like this. She described her feelings of confusion on the phone, but in person, Emily seemed to have a pretty good idea of what constitutes a core value for her and Joe. Like, there are certain things that if he had said them, I would have been pretty disgusted. Like, if he had said, you know, who cares if what he did when he was 17, no big deal. Like, that would have that would have been a values difference for me. And I, I think, but he didn't. You know, if he raped her or right, tried to rape her. Right. But. Like, who, who cares? Like, that would have been a, a values. That would have been a huge problem. Joe was talking to me about, you know, he was saying, okay, so what are the ramifications in our country if in Congress we can, you know, turn every nomination into a circus? We don't agree to this moment about whether or not Kavanaugh ought to be on the Supreme Court, but like, I un- I know his reasons for his position, and they are reasons that are actually compelling and they, they and are valid, and they're valid beyond Kavanaugh. Yes, that's the point. And one of the ways that I think that next couples are able, when they're able, to talk is, is to exactly make that, that leap into mm-hmm. looking at the larger issues 
But that's also part of what made this one so difficult was, you know, the tying, you know, this one experience back to other experiences. And I didn't get that at first. When Joe talks about connecting to other experiences, there's no mistaking what he's talking about. Emily, like many women, has had prior experience with sexual assault. So it was fundamental to get Joe to understand why that experience mattered to her. I was upset because, you know, while it it, it doesn't compare at all to what um, she experienced um, with Kavanaugh, um, I, like so many women, had an experience. and I, nobody... I don't know any who didn't, by the way. Yeah, yeah. And How old were you? I was 20. I was abroad. And the worst part of the experience was actually that a man who was my friend, who was like part of my program and a buddy of mine, he didn't believe me. As a matter of fact, not only did he not believe me, he told people that I was saying things. Really? Yes, he, 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 he informed groups of our friends, like Emily made this story up. It, I, what was important to me was that my um, husband be the type of person who when a woman tells him a story about her life, that he believes her and that he reacts with empathy and um, that that is what mattered. And in terms of, you know, understanding that an actual, something playing out on a national political stage, uh, I can accept that there's a different standard for that than I needed him to have. That's a very important point. In his interpersonal relationship. I think what you're talking about is nuance, you know, and what's really important. Mm -hmm. How somebody Mm -hmm. treats you, I assume, Joe, that you have similar feelings. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the main thing that I've learned from this is just how important and also valid emotions play into these situations. Um, you know, you're going to get, I know you're married already, but you're going to get a few hundred thousand proposals. Emily, I'm warning you that... Listen, everybody, emotion, a man says he's realizing the value of emotions. And they it, can do it. They don't all think that it's only rational. And any woman who has emotions, is there's something wrong with her. She's crazy or immature. And I've always accepted that at a certain level, but this really brought it to the forefront. And now we have, we basically have a code word that when, you know, <laughs> we have a that, word. that's, you know, becoming the most important part of the conversation, but we're not really getting at it, that we could, you know, say that to... What's your word? Oh, God, it's really embarrassing. <laughs> oh, no. I think it's, whatever it is, I bet it's wonderful. It, everyone uh, will steal it. Oh, God, it's so embarrassing. Um, <laughs> though it is, I have to tell him that I need my hubs. Or I need that's, my wife. That's adorable. <laughs> so Why is that embarrassing? Because <laughs> we swore we would never say those <laughs> terms in public. <laughs> but, but it's the truth. Yeah. That's yeah. what intimacy is about. Mm-hmm. To be able to say to the person, I need you. Yeah. And that that isn't, that isn't embarrassing. It's not being a baby. You know, it's being a loving adult whose intimacy is the center of his or her life. Yeah. They struggled seriously over their differences, like all of us do. 
But Emily and Joe's relationship was clearly strong enough to withstand arguments like these. There was just one more issue to deal with, and it was of vital importance. Emily was proud of her husband and proud of her marriage, but the Kavanaugh news made her doubt all of that. Why? It's amazing the rhetoric that is uh, talking about, you know, not only Kavanaugh, but like men like Kavanaugh. So like men who went to private schools and are wealthy and, you know, sometimes they get angry like they have no right to do. Um, (laughs) No one else does. No one else ever gets angry. Um, Or drinks. And if they do get angry or drink, then they're probably, you know, abusive monsters. And, you know, Joe and I had a fight and there were voices raised. But, you know, because he's a white man, like he's he's. He's a bad person, and we must have a bad marriage. And we, you know, and and that and that really is so ugly. Did they really say that to you? I mean, not to me, but that is the. I guess I should say like that is the ethos from like my far left. I had to get off Twitter because that was basically. I think that's probably the smartest thing I did ever do. (laughs) I had to. I was feeling. I think, yeah, I just think I need to have more of a backbone in terms of, like, being able to stand up for my relationship. Not that anyone's ever directly attacked it to my face, but also I've been secretive about it, and I shouldn't be secretive. I should be, I mean, I am really proud to be married to him. Well, maybe maybe this is the time to realize that, you know, you're getting into yeah. full adulthood, and you stand up for what you do. And right. if people don't like it, then they don't have to have a good marriage like yours, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to I Love You But I Hate Your Politics. And thanks to Emily for calling in and Joe for joining us. If you want to get in touch yourself, have at it. Record a voice note or type out what's on your mind and send it to podcasts at mcmillan.com. I love hearing what people think of the show and learning about ways they've managed to keep their intimate relationships strong in these trying political times. If you're enjoying the show, please head to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and a quick review. It only takes a minute or less, and it really does help more people hear the show. I Love You But I Hate Your Politics is produced by Alexander Abnos, with editing help from Katie Ferguson and Becky Celestina. The senior editor for Macmillan Podcasts is Alyssa Martino.